This is the Push Ship Podcast, a broad look at the hospitality industry. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, Post Shifters. Welcome to another episode of the Post Shift Podcast with Sean Sewell. Um, obviously, I am that person. And today is uh, number four of our series from the Lisbon Bar Show, which I went to a month or so ago now. Um, I've been in Singapore probably for about four weeks now, which is exciting and been awesome and everything. I hope you've been keeping up with that with the Post Shift Shots, um, which is basically what I'll be doing for the Post Shift Shots for the next foreseeable future. Um, so at the end of the day, this is the, one of the last ones. So this is Ian Burrell, the self-proclaimed self, well, not self-proclaimed, but like labeled, uh, rum ambassador for all rums in the world, which is a great title to have and a, a very due one. Um, he has been following and, and helping with rum distilleries and that sort of thing for, oh God, decades. And, um, I've always been a huge fan of him. We've always crossed paths at tells the cocktail and that sort of thing. Um, you'll hear a funny story about the first time we met in this podcast, but I'm completely and utterly grateful that I get a chance to sit down with a bunch of, uh, people who I, uh, revere as heroes. Um, it's the one selfish thing I can say that comes out of the, uh, pod, uh, the podcast and, uh, doing the post shift, um, sitting down with people that I wouldn't have a chance to. And so I'm very grateful for that. Uh, I hope you enjoy this episode guys. I'll see you next week. Bye. So... I don't really have any, like, I don't sit standardized questions. Cool, no problem. The cool thing is, doing, this, doing this podcast, I get to sit out and hang out with my heroes. I don't, I don't actually have standardized answers. <laughs> <laughs> I get to hang out with my heroes and ask, like, questions about, well, just everything in life general. Oh, wow. Why am I on there? Because, like, I've, dude, I've followed you for years. Oh, shit. Oh, sorry. What was that? <laughs> the first, I think the first time we met face-to-face was London Bar Show, um, when it was up in... Um, Oh, where was it? Um, 20, 2010? 20, 20, no, 2011, 2012. Okay, cool. And you said my tiki drink wasn't sweet enough. Because <laughs> I made one uh, and it was supposed to have rhubarb syrup in right, it. Right, yeah. And what they could get me was this like oh, this no, off-the-shelf yeah. rhubarb syrup yeah. and it wasn't sweet enough. It wasn't sweet enough. <laughs> and it was like later in the day and I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, I'm going to like screw this up completely. And it was you, Salvatore Calabresi and someone yeah. else. Oh, no. And you just were like, your tiki drink's not sweet enough. I'm like... It's a new, new, nouveau tiki drinking. Like that still doesn't count. <laughs> oh no, that's quite funny. <laughs> Probably count now today. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, in this so, why don't you introduce yourself for the oh. viewers at home or the listeners okay. at home? So, my name is Ian Burrell, and I'm the uh, unofficially, <laughs> unofficially, the global ambassador for rum. Okay. How did you get into that? Um, well, I actually gave myself the, the title. <laughs> 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 I called myself. I'm, you're going to be the global ambassador for rum. And, no one's going to dispute it. <laughs> well, they probably will do unless you actually back it up. Yeah. But no, um, I was made the first ambassador rum for the UK in around like 96, 97. Was that by a brand or by... Yeah, it was by a brand. It's the only yeah. brand I've ever worked for. Um, that was Appleton. Yeah. Appleton Rum. Family's from Jamaica. So uh, it was um, a nice connection. Nice yeah, nice fit. And that's one of the reasons why they wanted me to work with them because I was a bartender. I was Jamaican, so I could then talk about their rum yeah. um, from a Jamaican perspective and a bartender perspective. As what well. year was that? It was about '97. Wow. Um, yeah, it's a while back, and uh, so when I was when I was doing that, I, I started doing events for them and um, and then doing presentations about their rums, um, and uh, and then I was asked to actually help launch Appleton Rum in Australia, New Zealand. This yeah. is about six years later, um, using the same type of enthusiasm, liveliness, but also talking as a bartender to other bartenders. Yeah. 
while I was out in New Zealand and Australia, I realized I would be Australia as well. I realized I knew loads about Appleton and nothing about other rums. Yeah. So that's when I decided I wanted to learn. The only place to learn was to actually go there. And there was no, the internet was there, but there wasn't much being put well, online. 2002, barely. Oh yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was no Facebook, there was no yeah. no uh, Instagram, well, MySpace talk, yeah, was just yeah, about you, to be. Yeah, you're talking to the kids these days, and they're like, oh yeah, I can just go Google rum stars. I'm like, oh no, but you have to go look for books. And exactly. books weren't written about Rumsfeld. That's right. <laughs> like, and even then, you have to find those books yeah. to find out where they were. And there was no um, Amazon. You couldn't just go type in, oh, like, rum book on Amazon and exactly, get a rum book. Exactly. It wasn't so going to happen that way. All the kids now today, they have it easy compared oh, yeah. to what we had to go through just like 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I did travel around the Caribbean learning about rums. And when I came back to England, um, when, I, when I started doing presentations, instead of talking about uh, rum from an Appleton perspective, I started talking about rum from a rum perspective, yeah. the different types of rums that are out there. Uh, as such, and that's when I started getting the name or being dubbed as the Rum Man. Yeah. Um, so it just evolved from there. Um, a few years later, after traveling around and doing more events, uh, I decided I wanted to create my own event because there was no rum festival. Yeah. So I created a rum festival, the first international rum festival in 2007 in London. Wow. Which has gone on to inspire all the rum festivals we see around the world. Yeah. They've all evolved and been inspired by the London one. Yeah. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to be involved either as a guest or as a consultant for some of these other brands, other rum festivals around the world. So um, I've been quite proud, silently proud of my little contribution to the spirits industry as I like creating I, rum I fest. I wouldn't say it's a little contribution. <laughs> so you were a, strictly a bartender before you learned mm-hmm. all this? Uh, strictly a bartender before that. Um, officially I was supposed to be, um, sorry I'm just eating an English okay. breakfast here. <laughs> <laughs> officially I was supposed to be a bartender for about six months while I was taking time off from school. Uh, to go and do go to drama school yeah. after my A levels, uh, loved it so much that six years became twenty odd years. <laughs> so it was six months took up took, became twenty odd years. I didn't want to I didn't want to give it up. Oh. I enjoyed it so much working behind the bar, meeting people. Um, it helped with my confidence as well. I mean, I had confidence anyway, but meeting brand new people and actually clicking with them straight away yeah. by just being a bartender, making them a drink, or or creating something for them. Um, so yeah, I loved it, and I, I don't regret that the, the, the path that I've actually gone down yeah. uh, when I made a decision to stay. I'm just going to flip your microphone here because I feel like I'm going to get a lot of scrabble, scrabble. Oh, there we go. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah so I, I don't regret uh, the path I went down, um, being a bartender, uh, working with spirits, meeting people, because it's also led on to lots of other stuff as well. Um, so when, when you started the first, when you when you decided to do your own rum festival, yes, did you self fund that pretty much? With all my savings, yeah, as my savings, I lost money after the first year, um, but I, I, let me rephrase that: I didn't lose money. I invested, yeah, uh, <laughs> invested uh, into a brand. Um, um, so it was uh, it was it was awakening. It was an awakening to a lot of rum companies yeah. because, first of all, they were like, what is a rum festival? Uh, and after that, they were like, wow, we really like this. We definitely want to be back next year. We're, yeah. We want to go bigger because we want to make sure we outdo the next person. And if you want to go bigger, you're going to spend more money. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so that's how that started and that's how it's that how, uh, evolved. But yeah, self-funding, didn't get any loans, um, took all my savings. I was saving up for a deposit for a house. Wow. Um, I took a chance. It was the only. I, I don't gamble, um, but that was my biggest gamble of my life. Well, because I think it's. I think it's funny. Is like, either sometimes when people get to a stage like you have in your career, I either get two things. Like I'm always curious what they did beforehand, mm. and like uh, Davin De Kogamo from Canadian Whiskey. Yeah, yeah. You know what he did before he was a Canadian Whiskey guy? Nope. He was an outreach worker, traveled the world. Wow. Okay. Doing outreach. That's amazing. But then you oh. go, okay, well, you quietly spoken. You're as nice as sin. Like. Yeah. Obviously, you had to be something like completely uninvolved. That's right. To be, 
But then on the flip side, is like, and then I like to, I like to chat to, like, because I, I think the biggest thing with you was, like, I was curious about the first, like, how you got into it, because you did, you self-funded your passion. Yeah. And we're yep. not talking, like, five years ago, we're talking, like, almost 20 years ago, yeah. you self-funded your yep. own passion. That's right. Yeah, and I think kids around. these days, well, the internet, yeah. is the kids these days, they uh, get into a stage of, like, they want X, Y, Z. Yeah, and, and but, they want it But tomorrow. they want it 18 months from, yeah. well, 18 months on being on the nice side on that one. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, I call it the, the MTV mentality. Everybody wants what they see on MTV and then it's like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, but Jay-Z ate shit for like 20 years before he was Jay-Z. That's <laughs> it. They, I mean, I saw a cartoon recently which was amazing. I forgot to photocopy it, uh, uh, copy and paste it. What it was, we saw um, these three athletes standing on the podium, yeah. first, second, and third. And, uh, and everyone's looking at him from this way and from behind you see a wall that they're standing on yeah. and it had things like each brick said things like blood, sweat, yeah. time, passion, yeah. patience everything they needed to get to that spot but you don't see any of that yeah. you just see the end result yeah. um, it's pretty much like um, for example as an as a independent ambassador there to be hired someone has an idea or they have a rum or they want me to come and consult for them um, and they, they'll say to you listen we've seen what you do we understand uh, you can help our brand yeah. and um, and then you say okay no problem yeah, I can do this this is what it's going to cost and they'll say oh well uh, oh, we thought you were just going to like give us some advice and some tips and things like that and I'll say well the only reason why you came to me and the reason why I've got here is because I've put like 20, 25 yeah. years of work to get to this yeah. position so you're not paying for the advice I give you now you're paying for 25 years yeah. of experience uh, as such and I think some people forget that when they, when they, not even me, but when they hire a professional or hire an expert in, in Well, what like we that. do is very intangible. Yes. Like, yeah. what, like the bartending industry, yeah. like I deal with it on a daily basis, the consulting, it's like, it's intangible. Mm. You say it's going to cost as much, and they're like, but, but I can't see the results. I'm like, of course you can. That venue and that venue and that venue and that event and that That's event. That's right, yeah. And mm. they're like, yeah, but I still can't see the tangible, like the tangible ROI well, is a hard thing to, to do. Oh, yeah, venue. well, that's also a big one too. Mm. So what do you, what's your focus these days? Apart from like traveling um, the world and just talking about <laughs> rum everywhere. Well, I focus this days now is, is actually to just educate as much people as I can on the category of rum, on the benefits of rum. Um, if it's a bar or a bar program or a restaurant, um, on the different styles of rums, if you're already into rums, to help you discover new things about rums. To work with local governments um, and local rum companies. When I say local, I mean local in certain areas, especially in the developing areas, where <clears throat> rum has always been seen as just a means just to escape. Yeah. But now it can be seen as a, as a means for, um, for, for, for money and for a prosperity and for uh, development and for the future of, uh, of a country or yeah. a nation or, or uh, well, just a local Cause, market. Because rum for a lot of Caribbean countries is literally the reason why they have a GDP. That's right. Like, it is. It's an important part without, of that. Without rum, they it, literally it, do not exist yeah, anymore. It, it's an important part of that. And this is why I am so passionate when it comes to talking about, for example, Jamaica rum, for example. When I see a bottle of Jamaica rum on a, on a shelf in, say, China or yeah. Australia or in Canada, um, there is money going back to that country that is helping for infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Because the money that the workers that work in the distilleries or uh, that are directly involved with the company, they're spending that money to help their family, yeah. help their kids. And so they need to sell all those rums to actually work. So when I see people bash rums or bash brands, I normally do that from a, a place of ignorance. They've never been to yeah. that country. They've never seen the workers inside the distillery yeah. inside. They don't see that while they're sitting on a computer 
in a developing country typing away, oh, this rum is crap, blah, 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 and these companies, blah, blah. Uh, they've never been to actually I, see I see that on Facebook a lot these days. Exactly, like, yeah. The, we see that all the time. All just the, 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 the sugar content and how much caramelized sugar yeah, gets added. Exactly. Sometimes it just gets so tiresome. It gets uh, very, so. There's a lot of white noise out there when it comes to rum. Yeah, yeah. But I think sometimes it, it comes out of a... It, well, you said it comes out of ignorance because, like, the categories of rum are so specific per country. Mm. And then even within the country, each region has a specific yeah, style of yeah, rum. Exactly. Um, and that's one of the things um, that I try and do. Educate people on those things. Yeah. This, some people don't care. They just want to no. drink something that tastes really good. Others will take the time to find out. Okay, if you want to take the time to find out, then be open-minded about yeah. what's out there. And say, okay, I, I appreciate and understand why you do it that way, but that's not for me. Yeah. Don't tell someone, oh, don't drink that. Because it's blah blah blah. Yeah. Because uh, one of my famous lines that I say to everyone is, "Don't tell me what rum to drink, and I want to have to be your wife." <laughs> and if people should adopt that policy, don't tell me if I'm drinking rain if you overproof it, sixty-three yeah. percent alcohol, yeah. unaged, that tastes like rocket fuel to yeah. some people, or it's fire water to others. Yeah. I grew up drinking that. That's that's part of my culture. Cut it for co- cut it with cola, and you're good yeah. to go. Oh man, <laughs> <Tell us laughs> squeeze a lime, tall glass. Oh goodness. Well, then some people they don't like dunder. Yeah, like, that's exactly. Like, okay, well, doesn't yeah. mean you don't. It's like the heavy. Like Jamaicans don't drink heavy, high ester rums. Yeah. They don't. That's done by the Europeans, yeah. the Germans especially. Yeah. Um, so when I see people talking about Jamaican rum, oh, it needs more funky, it needs more this. Yeah. I'm like, well, turn out to a Jamaican, the yeah. people that it, where it's from, yeah. the people that are making the money, hopefully making the money from that yeah. brand or work, they don't drink that. Yeah. Yeah. They, they laugh when they see people drinking that stuff. So what do you um, see for the rum industry in the next couple of years? Um, I, I've heard a lot of, other, the reason why I ask that is because I've heard a lot of call for more transparency. Yes. And yeah. And that's well, transparency is always going to be called for in every in every business, um, whether it's food, drinks, whatever. Uh, people want to know what goes inside the product, what they put inside them. They're becoming more conscious of sugar, um, additives, um, and that's right across the board. Not only rum. Um, so, what I do see going forward, I will see more companies basically saying using part of the we are as pure and holier than thou as part of the marketing, yeah. because they want to. They're not allowed to say. Like Europe's basically saying in their new legislation, you're not allowed to put the word sugar-free or no sugar added onto your rum bottle, which I just find ridiculous. But it's the EU and the part of the laws. That may yeah. change in the future because things do evolve. So people will find ways of actually saying, we are a particular style of rum, we are yep. this. And you'll find your you'll find your, your niche of, of consumers that will like your product, especially if they enjoy the taste, they'll keep coming back. So I see that happening. Uh, and the EU is going to make that happen quite quickly because the laws are changing yeah. in the EU. Secondly, I'm seeing a lot more independent bottlers. Um, not everyone can afford a distillery. Is it, is it a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's a great thing. And the reason why it's a great thing is because that's where rum came from. Yeah. No one, unless you're super rich, yeah. you could not afford to go out to a distillery in the Caribbean because that was the epicenter. Bring rum from the Caribbean on a ship, bring it over to London, Bristol, or the New England, and then bottle it yourself. You're an independent bottler yeah. if you do that. Bottle it yourself and then sell it to your friends and make loads of money. Sometimes and how, and how sometimes you have to go to companies like EA Shear, yeah. who've been doing it for over 200 years, somewhere closer to home, who can bring their costs down because they're buying so yeah. much. Okay. And you go to them and say, listen, you know what? I want a little bit of potato barrack from that Far East yeah. and a little bit of Jamaican rum and I'm going to sell that in London or I'm going to sell it as this as my own product. So, so when you say independent bottlers, you're talking about independent blenders as well? Independent or blenders? like more leaning towards like the single vintage, single cast sort of no, no, it's, country thing? No, it's more, when I say I mean more, more independent blenders, yeah. the single cast and the single vintage things, again, that will continue to, that will 
opportunities to, to, to come up because everyone's looking for that marketing edge. Um, you're looking to get your little tiny niche. You're not doing large quantities, um, but it's enough to help your brand. So if you're a successful brand and all of a sudden you release a limited edition 5,000 run bottle, yeah. that 5,000 bottles is not going to make or break a company. Yeah. What is there is to establish your name out there to certain Parts of the so like sing, single, the single cask stuff is like a single, a single malt whiskey. Yeah, yeah, a small, yeah. small portion. Of Very the small market. portion. <laughs> Very small portion because most people, as you know, when it comes to whiskeys, they're drinking blended whiskeys. Yeah. There's there, people they're drinking more uh, oh. um, just Johnny Walker oh, yeah. than when the single than malt any single malt. get on their high horse. You're like, uh, yeah, of course. You're like five percent of the ten percent. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I, I like to. I, I'm gonna. We'll see a lot of that. That will satisfy. A lot of us geeky rum drinkers. Yeah. Um, I put myself in both categories. Yes, I can be a real geeky rum drinker, but hey, give me a rum and coke any day, yeah. um, and I'm very, very happy rum. And I'm pushing again. Rum, rum highballs is the thing for me for the general consumer because I want more people drinking rum. Yeah. Um, I want. I don't want. I hear a lot of times when I hear people say. I don't like rums, and then you ask them what your favorite drink is. They say yeah. mojito or daiquiri or mai tai or pina colada, uh, and they're like, "All oh, right, okay, you know what?" Like, Please they, tell me. Yeah. You call them out when you say when they uh, say. Well, that. I, I do. I do tell them. Oh, but you are drinking rum. It's just you're not drinking the rum you ex- the way yeah. you expect it to be. Um, so, so, well, I think it's um, also it's the same thing when people have scotch whiskey for the first time. People are like, "I don't like scotch." I'm like, yeah. well, did you have some dick at a party give you yeah. one bag Ugadel? And yeah. that's what, that was your first taste of scotch whiskey. Exactly. It was like, is like, that what you first said? So yeah, I had like XYZ rum and it's like, I didn't like it. I'm like, well, there's yeah. a lot of rum out there that you can there's try. There's rum out there, yeah. So if they drink spirits, I always say there's a rum out there for you. Yeah. Um, if you don't like spirits neat, there's a cocktail out there with rum inside there for you. So as long as you're drinking rum, fine, I'll find a way for you to get there. And that, again, that's going back to the question you asked, um, what, how am I or what am I doing? within the rum industry it is this it's, it's trying to create ways or give people ideas of how to enjoy yeah. and drink rums so independent bottlers clarity um, we're going to see seen a lot of new uh, rum or rums coming from new regions yeah. or old regions that are now basically saying you know what we've got all this sugar cane growing why don't we just make some really good yeah. quality rum because the market is showing that there's growth inside there so Asia yeah. so some rums coming out of there um, um, the Pacific, South Pacific, a lot of sugar cane growing there, so uh, you're going to see a lot more rums coming there. Fiji is going to start stepping up. Um, countries like Mauritius, uh, Reunion Island yeah. are now looking uh, inward at themselves and saying, We have all this rum here, it's been drunk locally, let's see if we can get a little bit of the foreign market. Um, and this is where I've come in, where I've gone into a place like Mauritius and Madeira, and I've, I've worked with the local authorities, as in the government, to help okay. all the rum companies work together as a unit and start getting them into fairs and events wow, around the world awesome. to come up with a category. So, so it's funny, when, um, when I do say to people, I created my name, the, the rum ambassador, the global yeah. rum ambassador, some people look at me and say, yeah, you are, that's why we want you. Yeah. <laughs> so Madeira, uh, yeah. the government of Madeira, the government of uh, Mauritius, and the Reunion Island and Guadalupe. That's fantastic. The Jamaica, Jamaica uh, Tourist Board and Jampro just helped, um, hired me to help them launch Jamaica Rum Fest at the beginning of the year. Um, so I, I'm actually working with countries and, uh, and governments crazy. And uh, on helping develop their rum programs. So what do you think about Australian rum? Oh. <laughs> well, here's the thing, here's the thing, and this is a true story. So a few years ago, I was uh, um, at a bar show down in Sydney, and, um, and again, I was invited as uh, the international guest. And it was the first time that Bundy had ever exhibited at a bar show. Yeah. And because I said, yeah, bro's coming down, you're going to have a rum area, Bundy's going to be there. And the whole idea was, I would talk about like 15, 20 minutes on just rum, rum. as a category. 
and then each of the brands will come and do their, their marketing skill about their brands. Uh, so you had Appleton there, you had Gay, you had uh, Havana, Bacardi, and you had Bundy. Um, so when it came to the Bundy guys, like 50 Bartons sitting there, the Bundy guys had all the samples and uh, they were just like, yeah, this is what we do. We've been making rum since 1888 and blah, blah, blah. And the polar beers, we don't have polar beers in Australia, but it keeps you warm. That's why we've got polar beer on there. Um, anyway, any questions? First Barton, he goes, yeah, mate, why does Bundy taste like shit? <laughs> Poor rep, because the rep was a rep, wasn't a bartender. Yeah. He was, didn't really know the industry. Came down to Sydney and felt the full wrath of Sydney bartenders. Oh, wow. And then he looked at me and says, Ian, you're the host, you're the global ambassador for rum. What, are you gonna defend us? What are you gonna say? I'm like, oh man, what can I do? So I went up there and said, listen guys, all right. I take it now you, you guys don't really like Bundy. No, mate, things like that. I'm like, all right. But look at it this way. Imagine Queensland yeah. was a little tiny island in the Caribbean, yeah. like Jamaica. Yeah. <laughs> and it had a rum that 99.9% .9 of people that ever drank it would say, oh my God, this tastes like shit. Well, that's what Ray and Nephew's like yeah. in Jamaica. And I'm sure you guys know what Ray and Nephew is. Yeah. And they're like, hell yeah, we know Jamaica. Like, so don't say the rum tastes like shit. Say it tastes like shit to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is like I love because, because it might be great somewhere else. Well, uh, the RTD culture in Australia is huge. So like as a 14, 15 year old kid, yeah. you know you're hitting Bundaberg rum and coke yeah, in, a, in a can. That was one of, you know, Bundy, no, Bundy and Coke on draft was one of my holy grails. Awesome, I isn't never, it? I never got to try it. I've always wanted to try it. I was hunting down. I went, I went oh, up yeah. to the distillery, Bundy distillery, and I said, guys, I need to find Bundy and Coke yeah. on draft just so I can say I've done it. People I, go RTD culture in Australia. I'm like, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. We do like Johnny Walker and Ginger on tap. Yeah. Like yeah, off a gun of in a jug. And you sit at the pub with a jug and you pour it out to I met the guy. I met the guy who came up the concept. Uh, he used to work for Diageo and he said he was tired of going to a pub drinking rum and coke while his mates are drinking lager yeah. and he was getting wasted he was getting, <laughs> he was getting wasted because um, he was doing like three or four yeah. strong rums and cokes and they were just doing lagers at a time yeah. so he says I need to find a way to do a pint of rum and coke that's around the same strength about 5% alpha violin that's when he came up with the concept and he yeah. sold it to the bosses at Bundy and they said yeah great idea let's run with it I think the one thing Bundy has is they've realised the market they've had in Australia and they've come out with other expressions yeah they're yeah. definitely leaning towards more like geeky-ism yeah. and this so is yeah, and this leads back to the question of where other things I see growing companies uh, big companies themselves will look at themselves and say okay how can we um, appeal to that geeky audience yeah. or another market. We have our core market, but how can we uh, appeal to that, that small sector that maybe think our products are not good enough for them? Yeah. Um, so when I was while I was there at Bundy, they were just launching and just doing tastings of their Master of the Sillers collection. Yeah. So I tried some of those and I said, two problems here. I said, first of all, you've still got Bundy on the label. Yeah. <laughs> Which will lead to the second problem, yeah. is that this rum is not bad, yeah. but you're going to have a problem selling this to the guys down south. Yeah. Um, only because of the stigma that Bundy has. Um, so you can either go one or two ways. You can either call it something completely different, or you're going to have to hire or get Barton to have a reputation yeah. uh, that can influence to, to come and back it by doing blind tastings. Don't even tell them what it is. Do blind tastings and do that type I of stuff. I think that's the key. It's like, I know Ryan Lane from the Grisham. Yeah, he yeah. uh, he backed it pretty hard. Oh, brilliant. But like, yeah. we went through a movement in, in Brisbane. We actually, 86 rum yeah. and coke. Oh, wow. Like, 86 stuff, Bundaberg rum. Wow. Completely. Okay. And uh, 86 Bundaberg rum, because it's like giving sugar and alcohol to five-year-old children. Of course, oh, you yeah. get fights. Yeah, of course, of course. But, um, so what's next for you? 
So next to me is um, helping to develop and create rum festivals pretty much around the world. Um, everyone wants to do a local one. <laughs> so this is Alberto just gave us a book here in case you like wondering why I'm laughing. <laughs> oh, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, um, to, help, to help develop rum festivals around the world, um, I've just helped launch the new Miami uh, rum event called the Miami Rum Congress, which we did last uh, February, and it went amazing. It's all going to be about education yep. and understanding of the category of rum worldwide. Uh, and then we party in the evening times. <laughs> rum, rum is edu rum about education, rum is, but rum is about partying. Rum, rum in Miami. Yeah, right. exactly. So we're going to look to get a little bit bigger next year. Um, so that's uh, that's a project. And a few other little uh, NDA projects I can't really talk about at the moment that you'll hear about and you're like, oh my God, and you won't even know I'm involved inside there. Like, oh my God. Um, so yeah, there's a few uh, exciting projects in the rum industry is about, that's about to happen. It's going to drop a few this year. Um, uh, that, I'm, that I'm involved with or I've consulted on. Uh, and then, of course, Rum Fest in London and London Rum Week. It's to uh, help, um, uh, basically help that develop, help that grow, uh, really try and get the London Rum Week uh, up and running. It's been going now two years, well, this is our second year of it, of it being an official event. Um, and we want it to evolve, we want to not only evolve as an event, but to help to evolve Londoners and anyone that travels to London for that week to understand the rum category and the rum experience. Which awesome. Is... Well, I appreciate seeing that, man. I know you're busy. Oh, no problem. No th problem. Thank you very much. You're here in sunny Lisbon. Are we in Lisbon? Oh, it's so good in Lisbon. <laughs> Thanks, Bo Shifters. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, if you're listening, whatever platform you're on, give me a good rating, subscribe, listen along. Uh, I'm going to keep going. I really enjoy sitting down with people and learning where they're from, what they did, and how they got to where they were. So if you love it, Give me a good five stars. If you don't, give me one and I'll try harder.